Welcome everyone to the Special Education Inner Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Witcher, and today I have with me Jacqueline Moran. And I'm excited for us to talk about an important topic of really vocabulary and terms that we need to know as parents, teachers, admin, therapists. There's a lot of alphabet soup in our IEP world, and we need to make sure we're on the same page. And that's something that's really important to Jacqueline, and she wants to make sure that you understand two really important words. So first of all, Jacqueline, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, this is going to be great. So tell us, how did you end up at an IEP table? So I am a board certified behavior analyst, and I started out actually working one-on-one with families, uh, most families with autism, but also um, other disabilities and diagnoses. And uh, then I ended up working with schools. And uh, so I've been on both sides of the IEP table. And I really, you know, ended up here because I just noticed the disconnect often uh, between families and schools and, and the communication. And so um, that's why, you know, I ended up here and uh, doing the uh, mentorship program through the Master IP Coach. And it's been really wonderful uh, just to, to help bridge that gap between families and school teams. Um, I love to hear that. I love to hear that, that you're on a mission to bridge that gap between school and home because we've seen such um, a magnifying glass on that problem that we've always had in special education, but with the pandemic and everything happening, just that that great divide became even greater. So uh, you mentioned the Master IEP Coach Mentorship. I just want everybody to know that um, if you head over to masteriepcoach.com, you'll know exactly what she's talking about. And also at any point in time, if you wanna get a hold of Jacqueline and talk to her, you can hop over to myiepcoach.com and fill out a form right there and just let us know that you heard Jacqueline on the podcast and we'll get you in touch with her and I'll be good. So uh, that leads us into our, our hot topic. You you could talk about a million things. We said that when it came to special education, because you've had so much experience, but there were two words that you brought up that I was like, yes, let's do that. So tell us the two words. So context and content. Um, and that those are two things just that I think we see and uh, we don't really think about differentiating when we're doing IEPs. Yeah. So I, I know that parents a lot of time are not informed on this, you know, concept of content versus context. And, you know, they learn things like FAPE, they get a free and appropriate public education or LRE, you know, the least restrictive environment. Well, once we get those big terms down, it's time to really figure out what's happening in the nitty gritty. And that's where we're, where content and context really hang out is in this nitty gritty every day, what's going on. And then professionals on the IEP team tend to forget this. So break it down for us, just a general vocabulary description of content versus context for special education? Sure. So when looking at the difference, I think, you know, we see goals often on IEPs, both professionals and parents, and we, you know, maybe it's looking at adding and we're like, great. Yes, my kid needs to learn to add. That's perfect. Um, But like you're saying, we often don't really differentiate between uh, the context, which is, you know, in what situations with what materials and what scenarios and what environments are we teaching and are we learning and are we preparing the child for? 
and then the content of what is the actual skill you know that we want to see so you know are we teaching money for example on a worksheet which would be a context and an environmental variable or are we using you know physical uh, in physical money are we using actual money and you know changing the variables of what context you're teaching and how you're teaching that content can really help so that our students are we're teaching it in a way that's most beneficial to them so that they can apply it to the real world and we're not focusing on a skill that is is not able to generalize to to the environments that they're going to need yeah so and i know that your expertise is in behavior so let's talk about that content versus context like this skill versus like where is the skill happening and, and what's going on i know that's something that you're coming into a situation to problem solve and your brain like automatically goes like okay content context you know abc you know taking the data and, and all of these things anybody who doesn't know what abc data is it, that's a that's a whole nother conversation <laughs> for another day um, in there. but but that's that's your job is to come in and problem solve so let's just say there's um a behavior going on you go ahead and use an example of like what have you seen and how do we use this concept of content versus context to break down that yeah, so looking behaviorally, I think the most common thing that I see is, you know, a child may not be, you know, attending to task or they're not finishing the work or they're not able to do the work. Um, so we see a lot of problem behaviors in the classroom or now in home uh, because the child is trying to, you know, we give them their work assignment and they may be engaging in behaviors of concern or simply just not completing whatever that activity is. Uh, so context for that is really huge. Um, I usually really sit down and look at that environment and what is happening. And typically when we're looking at attending to task, most of the time it might, it's not the content, sometimes it is, but a lot of times it really is about, you know, what is it um, that's happening in that environment that is either helping the child or is making it more difficult for that child to complete the activity. So some examples might be just you know, where they're sitting. If you, uh, right now, where I'm at, there is a construction truck outside that's beeping. So for example, you know, if you hear that in your, you know, when you're trying to work or a child is getting these, you know, auditory input that is distracting, that might be part of the context that just needs to change for them to be able to successfully attend to task. So there's so many things in that environment. And often it just takes somebody sitting and and just sitting in that same environment and looking, you know, could I could I perform in this? And really looking at everything from their seating to the, you know, lights, the sounds, what's happening, the instructor, um, the environment, that's part of the environment. So how much positive interaction are they having versus negative? How many instructions are they given? Is it very overwhelming? So there's a lot of pieces when you're looking at behaviorally, uh, it's so much of that context that you're looking at to, to really see, you know, is it just something that's in this environment that is preventing them from being successful? So what you just described is probably like 90% of the issues and concerns that parents have when they're choosing that least restrictive environment that we talked about. They'll say, this classroom's not appropriate because, but then they'll They'll use, I just call it mom language, you know, which is like, that. that's okay. So for all the parents who are listening, like, that's okay. But you'll say like, 
like that teacher's not the right fit in this classroom. I don't know how to describe it, but I know my child's not going to do well here. They get a parent instinct about it. So what you're talking about, what you're describing there is like, you know, the parents are, are seeing, even if they can't put it into words, this whole context of like what's going on around and how this isn't going to work and then what this interaction is going to be. And, and it, and I'm not even talking about a specific type of classroom. We're talking about anything from general education to resource room, to a self-contained room, to gym class, to the lunchroom, all of those things you just put into words. Like, so parents who are listening to this, that's your fancy word that you need to use with your team is that, you know, we really need to look at the context that you're expecting my child to learn in because they can do the content, but they can't do it in this context of what's happening. So I love that, especially as we start to reintegrate back into whatever this school you know community is going to look like for most people. It's going to be different than how the child left. And there's going to be a lot of struggles in that. Um, okay, so tell us tell us a little bit more about the academic side of things. What is um, like academically? What what could we see as a struggle of this? You know, these two terms. Yeah. So academically, um, this can be really, you know, these get melded. So taking the you know money example that we talked about, um, looking, you know, a lot of times I've seen teachers and they're giving you know worksheets. And it's worksheets of, of money. And can the individual uh, student identify money? Can they, and, and they're not able to do it, you know, on that worksheet, which is so very different from what, you know, our actual money looks like or things like that. So oftentimes academically, we might be using the wrong materials or, you know, just looking at, at materials that aren't able to transfer into the real world. So we might have a good content goal that like, yes, my child needs to learn money, but you don't see, you know, how that's actually being implemented or they're not thinking about, okay, all right, they, they may have mastered that money goal, but then when you actually hand them money, they have no idea what it is. So really making sure that the materials that we're using are able to, to meet those, those needs of that child. And then, you know, when looking at the content, uh, what I often see with academics is the content is, you know, maybe up here and the child doesn't have all those prerequisites. Um, and I know you talked with uh, Surrey recently about executive functioning and that those had a lot of good pieces in that about the, you know, these are things that we don't think about that the child is missing. And so our goal is for the child to maybe be able to count out money or to be able to buy something at a store functionally. But they cannot even, um, you know, one thing that I see kids may struggle with is skip counting. So, you know, you have a five and then six, seven, eight, they go five, 10, 15, 20, and they can't change from fives to ones or tens to fives to ones. So really looking at that content and seeing, do they have the basics and the prerequisites to really be able to master that content uh, in a way that's functional for them? And can we just do a shout out to all the um, IEP teams who are using outdated materials? Like, I'm just going to call them all out right now and say, stop. Like, I'm not kidding you. And, you know, I don't know this person. I don't know her Instagram name. I don't know anything about her. I just, it's like burned into my mind when I saw she was so proud. It was a younger teacher who was so proud. She probably got a lot of kind of hand-me-down materials. That happens, Right. But she was so proud of teaching skills when it comes to community signs and phones and being able to use a phone 
And gosh darn it, she had old phones as like in her room as part of like the, here, like we practice calling. No, that is not practicing calling in the real world. Nobody, okay, it wasn't exactly the rotary phone and it wasn't exactly a pay phone, but you know, it was like the one step after that. Uh, you know, it was the phone that I had where it was, it was, she had one too that was like the clear phone where you could see all the wires in. Come on, all my, all my like 80s and 90s people know this. And you know, like pick it up, you got the cord, it's stuck to the wall. No, we don't talk like that. So you can't say the child mastered the phone goal and then hand them an iPhone and say, call your mom. Yeah, it's not going to work. So let's just call them all out. Jacqueline and I just said, all of you guys who are using outdated materials, you need to advocate for better materials. Yeah. And I know you've talked about coins in the past. And, you know, most of the time we're using cards. I, you know, I very frequently have any money at all. And, you know, it really looking at what does that, what does the student's future look like and what, what are they going to be using? And a lot of times when I work with individuals who are transitioning to adulthood. It's like starting over because what they were taught isn't relevant to the the life that they're that they're participating in and, and what their community looks like. So, yeah, yeah it, it, you know, and I have a brother who's 43 um, with Down syndrome and, you know, he swipes his debit card, knows his pin, can sign his name, can do all of those things. Um, but can he exactly budget? Does he know greater than less than? Does he know whatever, you know? somewhat with some direct instruction of um, he worked at Walgreens. So, you know, it's very tempting when you work somewhere and you like all the things there to just like fill up your bag, like, Oh, at the end of my shift, I'll just buy a bunch of stuff. So like he had to learn, like you can't buy anything today, or you can only spend $10 today, or you can only buy, he would buy his, um, his favorite shaving cream. You know, like my mom would say like, dude, you already have like three, you can buy one, but you can't buy any more. Like those are all math skills and following directions and doing, we're not counting out penny, nickel, dimes and quarters in that way. So for everybody who's going to, you know, send me some instant messages on how they hate that I say, don't teach penny, nickel, dimes and quarters. That's okay. You can teach it. Don't take data on it. <laughs> like, don't waste your time on it. We've got other things to do. Um, so absolutely. I want people and, you know, students to, be working on it, but not in the way of you have to learn a penny, the value of the penny and all the things about the penny before you can learn the dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so content versus context. Um, how does that look in an IEP goal? You kind of talked about it a little bit, but just you know, maybe using a couple examples that you just shared, how would you define that in the goal to make sure that we're not just writing a general goal that overlooks these concepts? Yeah, so every goal has a condition in it, or they, most of them do. And that is typically like a statement of, you know, in what context, it's very similar. So, um, and, you know, you can put the setting in there, you can put what materials, you can put lots of different things go into that. But that's a really good place to have, you know, uh, when given, um, you know, dollar bills, or when given two values, or two, two, um, you know, piles of money, whenever, you know, whatever it is that you want to, to look at really putting that specifically in there is, is a good place so that it's very clear. Um, when when we look at IEP goals, I think we all struggle. They say, you know, if I write it, then the next 
special education instructor, if they would move, should implement it. Uh, but very, very often that doesn't happen. You know, I've gotten a ton of IEPs where I wouldn't have a clue how they implemented it. So, and, and they're vague. So the more specific that you are with um, using those important pieces of the context, you know, looking at, you know, functional materials, looking at real money. So you could put that right in there when given real money. Um, or, you know, when you're looking at behaviors of concern, you know, in what context do we want to see it? Is it in gym class? Is it in, uh, you know, in their general education setting? Is it in the resource room? Or is it when they're with, um, you know, a certain activity? Is it certain types of activities? So really looking at what uh, what's the most functional things and those things that can um, be applicable to the world and making sure that those pieces are in the goal. Um, you know, if you put that a child will attend to task, that, that could be anything. You know, you can, um, I have a, a student and, you know, one of their goals is to increase their attention to task. Well, this student could sit at a table for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And, you know, so I, I had to explain, like, that's not what's important. What's important is how often they're responding during that time. Are they participating? Are they actively engaged? Because, you know, we can all sit in a lecture for a long time and get nothing out of it if we're not participating and showing our responses. So it's really so important to get in there. What responses do we want the child to be having? What What is it that we want to see? And, you know, in what context so that it's clear that at the end of the year when they master that goal, it's something important. And it wasn't just that they were sitting at a table for 10 minutes. I love two different things um, that kind of work together with what you're saying. Uh, inside of an IEP goal, if it's behavior stuff or this task, uh, you know, attending to task and that, are we talking about following directions? Is it in a structured or an unstructured, you know, activity? Because that's huge. Like if it's a teacher directed activity, some kids do great. Other kids shut down. If it's unstructured, some kids do great. Other kids, you know, are just like at a free for all in there. The other thing is preferred versus non-preferred materials is another huge one. So these are the things that can make a huge difference of, you know, you're talking about attending a task. It's like, you know, um, if you tell a child to watch their favorite TV show, they're going to sit there and watch it for 20 minutes without a problem. If you tell them to watch um, the history channel for 20 minutes, they may not want to. So what's the issue? It's a preferred versus a non-preferred activity. So I love that you're bringing up all these things on how to specify the goals. So um, tell us where can people can reach you at myiepcoach.com and where are you located at? So I'm in uh, Bridgeport, Ohio. So it is Southeastern, Mid-Eastern, um, right near Wheeling, West Virginia. So it's in this, right in that tri-state area. So, um, so you have physical services of, you know, ABA support. Is that correct? Like, I'm just, just tell us what you do in that way. You told us like who you are and how you ended up at the IEP table, but there's a little bit more to your story. So um, I'm the founder of Valley Behavioral Health. So we have services. Uh, we have center-based services where we serve kids with autism and other uh, developmental disabilities. We also uh, provide academic tutoring here where students who are struggling, um, a lot of the kids that we see in school are missing those prerequisites. So when we talk about content, they're missing those prerequisite skills and they're trying, you know, the teachers and the team are trying to teach them uh, skills that are up here. And we really work on getting them fluent in some of those baby steps 
and those uh, prerequisites so that they can flourish in that environment. And so we offer those services here. And then we also uh, support uh, school schools. So I go into a few local school districts and uh, work with their teams and in trying to best support students' needs within the school and helping the teams and the teachers with things like this, where how can we help a child be successful and, and be uh, successful in learning in that environment? So um, you just kind of flipped some people out when you said that you have ABA therapy services and you're the founder of these services and you work with schools and you go into schools. That's a completely foreign concept for so many people. So um, can you just give some encouragement to, you know, maybe what a parent or even a teacher should do if they're looking for some outside support? How do they start to request that or seek that out or look for it? So I think that starting with just asking uh, the school, I think a lot of families are struggling and they don't know what might be available. So even just flat out asking a school saying, you know, my child is struggling, I need help, I need support, or, you know, this isn't working for them. Is there anywhere that we can find more? A lot of times it's difficult to get resources from schools because if they recommend something to a family, they're often required to provide that when some of it might be appropriate for a school to provide and to fund, but also, um, you know, it might be beneficial to get outside services too. So a lot of times counties have um, local resources. We have a resource list that we give to families uh, to seek things out, but you can um, look online for providers for services. And yeah, often it can be difficult. I think that families find the most resources from other families, uh, at least, you know, in our area, when I asked, how did you find out about us? They found out from other families um, in the area that were struggling. So try to really build that network and um, because it is, it's difficult to, in certain areas, I know we're more rural and even, you know, if you call the county and say, I want this service, you're not necessarily gonna get an answer of everything that's offered in the area. Yes. So everybody who's like, yes, that sounds like me. Like I never get the right answer. I never get everything. It's not just you. It's everywhere um, with that. So we'll give a couple of other resources here. One, I'll make sure that everybody has a link to um, your services um, in the show notes here. So we'll make sure they have that. Uh, we already mentioned myiepcoach.com. So if you want to reach directly out to Jacqueline and, and figure out some next steps, because something that we talked about really, you know, hit home and you're like, yes, I need more information on that. Please feel free to contact us um, at myiepcoach.com my and we'll get you connected there. The other thing is um, the special education inner circle. So you guys are listening right now to the special education inner circle podcast. We actually have a private community where um, I can really connect you with Jacqueline on a different level. I can make sure that you have access to the resources. There's a lot of parent to parent support, but there's also parent, teacher, admin, therapist, um, just kind of system support inside of the special education inner circle. It's completely different than anything that's out there. So you can head over to specialedinnercircle.com. All right, we could probably list resources forever. So we're just gonna let everybody go there. They're gonna take their notes. They're gonna reach out to us. They're gonna know the difference between content and context. They're gonna break down the goals, write them up um, in a specific way. So there's not that confusion over what are we doing and where are we doing it at with that. And um, Jacqueline, I just wanna say thank you so much for bringing this topic to the surface. We need to talk about this stuff more. 
Thank you. Yes, I love it. I am totally nerdy about all of this. So I'm always willing to talk about, you know, how to help kids learn more efficiently. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thank you for being here and we'll talk to you next time.